Hey everybody, welcome to episode 6 of the Mendoza Line. My name is Cam, and I am here as usual with my friend Nick. How are you, sir? I'm doing alright, Cam. I feel like I'm crashing back down to earth after uh, just a really enjoyable first first week of the season. Reality has set in, and I, I'm beginning to think that this is going to be a long year for my beloved red legs. <laughs> well, it's possible. I mean... There are, what, a hundred and some obscene amount of games, 162? 150 games left for everyone, something, or, or along those lines. But, yeah, after a 5-1 and one start to the year, our first road trip, we uh, proceeded to go 1-5, and five, and the one game that we did win was a, a barn burner in which, yeah, the bullpen tried to give it up at the end, and we ended up winning by one run, but... It was it was a rough week, a lot of a lot of walks, a lot of really long games, a lot of the Reds not scoring many runs. So probably more par for the course for the year. But so yeah, I'm uh, not feeling as optimistic as I once once did. Yeah, it's a funny thing that, that how baseball does that to people. Tigers lost by one run today, so you know that's exciting. They're a stellar seven and four. But they're only a half a game out of first place in the division, so still still holding out hope. Still in the thick of things. Yeah. The main thing is you want to avoid those 0-9, and 10 starts, the the big holes that take a long time to get out of. So Yes, a la, a la Minnesota and Atlanta, right? Yeah, which they've rebounded nicely the past few days. They've each won three straight after starting 0-9, which the Braves – Probably more expected that. Probably not zero wins in the first nine games, but the Twins, I'm sure that was, I'm sure set up some red flags as far as how their year's going to go. <laughs> so yeah. they're still not out of the woods yet. Yeah. Well, on the opposite end of the spectrum of those pretty awful records, we have the Washington Nationals, who, as of this recording, are 9-2 and two because it looks like they lost 3-2 to two to your Phillies in 10 innings today. My Phillies? Well, you live in Philadelphia. I know they're not your team, but, you know, anytime I can remind you that you're in Philly territory, I'm going to take that opportunity, Nick. Yes, they're definitely not my Phillies. Yeah, the, the Nats are 9-2, and two, but they have played... Um six of those games against the Braves three <laughs> no two because one got postponed against the Marlins and then three against the Phillies so those arguably are the three worst teams in all of baseball but so what you're what, like I get that argument I do their their record is bloated because they're playing bad teams but by beating the teams they're supposed to be beating aren't they doing what they're supposed to be doing oh absolutely um I'm just tempering expectations a little bit. Looking ahead at their upcoming schedule, oh, look, they get to play the Marlins four more times. That's just fantastic. And then they get to play the Twins for three. (laughs) And and then the Phillies again for three. So then at the end of April, they play at St. Louis and at Kansas City and at Chicago. So they actually play some real baseball teams at that point. So, yeah, they finish up with that that road trip on May 8th. So we'll see where they're at at that point. And then they actually put the Tigers after that. So they're going to, yeah, they're going to get swept that series as a product of playing in the NL East. The Nats are going to 
and a lot of a lot of easy wins. But to your point, yes, they have played the schedule they've been given. I'm just I, I take a little bit of vested interest in them because Dusty Baker is their new manager. So I'm sure that because of the start, everyone's going to be singing their praises. But after watching him manage my red legs for several years, I'm very aware of maybe some of his shortcomings. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But Not playing rookies at all? Yeah, the, the old school mentality, being very locked into playing speedy guys near the top of the lineup who can't hit worth anything. <laughs> yeah, being uh, very loyal to the veterans and not the more talented bench players. So, yeah, we'll we'll see. I'm uh, they're they're a team that I'm I'm interested to see how that how their season goes. I fully expect them to have a lot of uh, success in the regular season, but they uh, you know that's that's something they've had before. But in the playoffs, when they actually get down and have to play good teams they have not they have not won a playoff series yet since they moved to Washington with all the talent they have so but Bryce Harper is the truth he is a he is a good baseball player so yeah I kind of want to steal his slogan and and have our show be Mendoza line making baseball fun again (laughs) you know that's what that's what we're here to do he's already made the hats for us as tacky as they may look I mean Bryce Harper's main skill is not uh, graphic design don't they don't they don't they look just like the make America great hats? Is that is that oh, the, ones the Donald of? Trump hats? Yeah. Well, if that's the case then then I find the humor in that uh a lot actually that's quite funny, but I just thought it was just a really tacky painter's hat with red ink on it. I just I wouldn't want to so. get that confused for one of those hats because I am not a supporter of that. Just so we're clear on this podcast, my political stance. We're just going to move on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, other highlights in the standings. uh, The American League's pretty tight at the top. Orioles, Royals, Tigers, White Sox, um, all with three or four losses. Um, The Cubs are at nine and two. And, you know, especially after we talked about last week, losing Schwarber, that's still an impressive I mean, he's not their whole team. They're nine and three now. They they did lose today. Um, live update. Um, but still, they're every. I think all the predictions about them are for the first time in a long time, holding weight at least through the first twelve games of the season. Yeah, and I, I watched. They played the Reds for three games this series at Wrigley. I watched those games and they were impressive. They, I mean, they've they've got a few really good pitchers in Arietta and. Lackey, of course, and Lester, but they're one through eight in their lineup. They're all very good hitters. They're all very patient. They made the Reds pitchers throw strikes, which they struggled with at times. And even like marginal pitches, they just would foul them off time after time. So that would make their pitch counts go up really high. And then, you know, after a while, you got to you gotta throw one down the middle because you're just tired of them fouling off pitches and they wouldn't make them pay. So yeah, they, they scored a lot of runs, swept them pretty easily. Although the first game, Brandon Fittigan held them without a hit, which was impressive, but then it kind of all fell apart after that. A little bit of controversy in that game. Well, I was a little upset by the way that we handled him. But, yeah, I, the Cubs are going to be 
they're going to be tough. That that approach is gonna. I mean, that's gonna if, if they keep that the whole year, they're gonna they're gonna get through starters and get to the bullpen and score a lot of runs. And yeah, I think my prediction as far as them winning the division, I feel even stronger about that after the first couple weeks. Mm-hmm. All right, Nick, I got a question for you, buddy. What's up with Kenta Maida? My Ada. That is a great question. He, uh, I, I, I have not got to actually see him pitch yet. I know, you know, he's he's a guy that came over, uh, international signing by the Dodgers, uh, quite a bit of money. I don't know exactly what off the top of my head. But yeah, he's off to a really good start this year. He's, yeah, both of his starts hasn't given up a run. Um, yeah, let me let me give you his line real okay, quick. Go for it. He's one and zero in two starts. His ERA is zero. He's pitched twelve innings with eight strikeouts, and his WHIP is zero point nine two. Yeah, pretty good. I think I know it's only I know it's only two games, and I know this is his first year in the league, so no one's seen him before. Mm-hmm. But that's how you put the league on notice that you're not a scrub. Yeah, he. I think he's actually pitching tonight against the Giants. We'll see how that goes. I, I did a little background research on him. He's he came over from Japan. He's uh he's not super young. He's born nineteen eighty eight, so he's twenty seven uh, or so. But he, yeah, and I found the contract. Eight years, twenty five million. That's pretty. Good. That's pretty good. Not not twenty five million a year. 25 million total. And I found this this link here that says Greg Maddox signed in 1993 for 6 years and 28 million. That's how far back you've got to go to find a similar deal. Yeah. Inflation so, has changed uh, pitching contracts. Well, but if you can if you consider that they've got him for 8 years for 25 million dollars and he, his first two games he's thrown up numbers like this. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of look at that and go that's good business. Yeah, just looking at it, it looked like he had a lot of success in the, the Japanese league. He uh, he won the equivalent of their, I think, Cy Young in 2010 and then last year as well. So really, really low ERA, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of innings. I think it, it's tough sometimes to know how the, the game translates because, I mean, you've had – there's been examples in the past like Daisuke Matsuzaka – Came over, you know, seven or eight years ago for the Red Sox. He had one really good year, and then he kind of fell apart. And then Masahiro Tanaka came over two years ago for the Yankees. Had a pretty good year. He's a little bit older, though, and he got signed for a whole lot more than 20-some million, whatever Maeda did. But he's he's dealing with some arm troubles. So, I mean, I I guess I didn't know. I knew it was one of those under-the-radar signings, but... I'm sure now a lot of teams are kicking themselves because that's a that's an amazing deal for a pitcher that you know if he's throwing 200 innings, you know Mike Leake he pitched for the Reds his entire career till this year. He I mean he's he's been nothing but average in my mind. Like he's he's just never gotten hurt really. He's he's made all the starts and he signed a deal with the the. 
um, cardinals for quite a bit more than that. I don't, I need to, I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but he is near $100 million. So yeah, I think the Dodgers got a pretty good deal there, especially if his arm holds up. Yeah, and it, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, as he goes um, and, and the league adjusts to him and, and the divisional opponents adjust to what he's doing. They have more tape on him, right? how those how those numbers change. But, you know, I, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. This is how you put people on notice. Like, you show up your first season and you come out two games like this. Now, he's going up against the Giants tonight in that rivalry game, so we'll see how that happens. But um, I have some some real-time follow-up that the deal for Mike Leake was five years and $75 million. So three years less for three times the amount of money. Yeah, about $15 million a year. And again, yeah, that's, and then, that's a guy and, that has been very, very average, just proven to be durable, which I would say Maeda probably has as well. So I, I I find that interesting. Yeah, well, it's probably the the uh, the pitcher you know versus the pitcher you don't know. Leak has proved it in the big leagues. Maeda hasn't, but you know, I'm not a GM. So, all right, Nick, I read an interesting article earlier today. What was that about? About one J.D. Martinez, outfielder for the Detroit Tigers. And it's a uh, the, the Tigers recently just well I think they just wrapped up a three game series against the Astros, um, but and then they went one and two, which is sad. Um, but Martinez came up with the Astros, which I didn't realize until I read this article. I wasn't sure where he came from, and uh, they just cut him two years ago. We're just like, see you later, you're out of here. Because um, he'd been struggling, and and they have a very stacked farm system, mm-hmm. um, which may be the subject of an episode in the future. Um, and the Tigers, he got cut, and the Tigers, I think, picked him up two or three days later. Because Al Avila, who is now the general manager, but when they signed Martinez was Dave Dombrowski's assistant, um, knew Martinez when he was in high school because he played with his younger son and his nephew. And so when Martinez became available, he had his son Alex, who was then the catcher for the Tigers, who now is on the White Sox, uh, text him and say, you need to come to Detroit. Three years later, they signed him. The next, the first season he was, with the De- he was with Detroit, Silver Slugger Award. Second season he was with Detroit, All-Star. Led the team in home runs. Mm-hmm. Like I think he had 28, 28 or 32 home runs with 102 RBIs all-star um and it's just a really interesting article um about kind of the circumstances of how he got released from houston and what he was struggling with to the huge turnaround he had in the two seasons he's been with detroit so yeah um i mean obviously i'm a tigers fan so i find it interesting but if you at all find you know the concept of a player just just switching teams and all of a sudden becoming exponentially better just because of a new situation it's a really interesting article to read. There'll be a link in the show notes, um, so you can get, uh, you know, just directed right towards it. But it's it's a pretty interesting just to think that just a change of scenery can, and a change of coaches can 
drastically change the trajectory of a player's career. Yeah, I think that's why I love. That's why I, this baseball is so fascinating because he was. You know, he's a good prospect, but he's never. You know, I don't, I don't think anyone would have predicted that he would be what he's now as far as hitting for power, just being a cornerstone of a of a team. And you can see that, I mean, Houston, just in the fact that they have such a tremendously good farm system, that means that they're tremendously good at being that evaluating their players, right? So they're, they're drafting guys that you know, they're finding a lot of gems that no one else is seeing, putting them in their their pipeline producing really good players I, several of their minor league teams last year had a lot of success won their leagues divisions etc you got a guy like martinez who came up you know had a little success you know and then referencing that article uh, you know scout talking about him just scuffling so bad that just having no confidence in his swing uh to just be a you know a total transformation into what he is now as far as being a hitter, having an approach. So it just goes to show that even on the best teams who have, you know, some of the best scouts, that sometimes you just, you miss on a guy or you give up on him too early and someone picks him up and like the Tigers in this situation and he he does amazing. You know, there's another situation I can think of that happened, this happened was with the Reds when they picked up Alfredo Simon they got it was the same situation the the Orioles just cut him uh, it was I think it was like four years ago he was kind of just like a long reliever at the time and the Reds he was relieved for the Reds for a few years and then they turned him to a starter and he was so amazing that he became an all-star and then we traded him to the Tigers <laughs> and got <laughs> two really good prospects for him for a guy that we just picked up out of out of nowhere and you know, I don't know what necessarily changed besides, you know, like you said, being in a new environment, new system, maybe some new coaching, some familiarity, and it can really change a guy's career around. So it just, it, it just makes it, I think, really interesting because there's so much work done in prospects now, and you know kind of the top ones. Um, and I think they're getting better at evaluating, you know, the legit prospects versus ones that may are just having a lot of success in the minors, but when they get to the majors aren't. Even a guy like JD, I mean, sometimes you just need some time. You need to f- experience failure, make a big transformation, and it turns you into an all-star. So I think that's yeah. just got to be smart about when you give up on people. I mean, there's only so many spots. So there, there are times where you kind of have to cut people go. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. I think that's that's been great for the Tigers, obviously, and it's always great to see a guy uh, – with the, such a resonance, just uh, totally making his career out of out of nothing, you know, and going back to where it happened, it's got to feel good for him, I'm sure, to be like, hey, you let me go, but now I'm really good. <laughs> it's kind of like when you uh, get dumped by, like, a girlfriend, you know, and you kind of get your life together, you rebound, and you see her later. I don't know. There's not, no truth to that story at all, from is experience. there? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on before we get into things that are too personal for such a podcast as this. Uh, Jake Arietta. Uh, so he's got this streak going that I don't know if you knew about. But when he pitches at Wrigley, 
He has not allowed a run in 48 and two-thirds innings, which brings it all the way back to July 25th of last year. Wow. I did not know that. That's, uh, that's, I'd say, you know, fair to decent. Yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive. Especially when we're talking about, you know, there are two full months after July in the, the baseball schedule that he didn't give up a run the whole time. And then, yeah, it looks like he made a start uh, yesterday against the Rockies. Went eight innings, didn't give up a run. So, very impressive. So, that that's five games plus three and two-thirds innings. So, five and almost five, – five and over a third games at home where he's not giving up a run. Mm-hmm. I just – you know, you tip your hat to that. It's the NL Cy Young last year for you. Yeah, pretty darn good. All right, Nick. Um, I think it's time to move on Move on to our main topic. But before we do that, I'm going to totally put you on the spot and ask you where people can get in touch with us. Or how, I should say, how they can get in touch with us. <laughs> well, there's a couple different mediums. Uh, we are both on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Coatsy, C-O-A-T-S-I-E-E. And then you are at Cam Brennan. All one word, I think, if I'm correct. You are correct. And then if you would like to email us, our email address is hello at supermegacorp.net. Wow, I'm impressed. I got it, right? Yeah, you nailed it. I'd, I'd, I'd say you hit a homer on that one. Oh, terrible uh, baseball pun. Uh, also, the show notes can be found at supermegacorp.net slash Mendoza slash six. If you are interested in that. Speaking of Twitter, I uh, I follow, there's a couple of writers for Baseball America, and they have a podcast every every Thursday that I listen to. It's, I mean, it's for guys that, you know, they're, they're baseball nerds, and I, I love it. But they were asking uh, for any questions, so I, I tweeted at them last week, and I made the their podcast last week. So my... Uh, what was your question? Oh, I was because the Reds are picking two in the draft this year, so I was just asking about you know because we're getting the draft is in early June, so we're getting under two months here. So I was just interested to hear uh, some of the the you know consensus for the top prospects that are going to be looked at to to pick one through five. And it's interesting in baseball because. Baseball has this interesting rule where, you know, a lot of, I mean, it's 40 rounds. It's insane, very long. (laughs) But there's this rule that if you go to college, you have to stay in college for three years. So pretty much anybody that's being drafted in college is either a junior or senior. And then you have Mm. high schoolers, you know, spanning the the whole country, even into Puerto Rico. So, you know, depending on where a high schooler gets drafted, they have the choice to either go to college um, you know, if they're if they're a good prospect and they get drafted later, don't get as much money, then it makes more sense for them to go to college and try to boost their stock, as opposed to you know a high schooler who gets you know you if you get offered a five million dollar signing bonus, then you might as well take it, and if it doesn't work out, you can always go to college later. But so I mean, it, I just it's so much more difficult than like NBA or NFL, where it's just college guys that you've seen play. A lot, so I was just interested to hear uh, some of those guys that 
beer becoming a little bit more clear now that we're, you know, we're more than halfway done through the college season because they start in early March, you know, and high school is starting to get in the swing of things as well. So it's interesting. Um, I mean, there's still a lot of, a lot of things unknown and they, they use the term volatile as far as there's a, there's a high school pitcher in New Jersey named Jason Groom that seems to be kind of the consensus. He's going to be in the top few picks or so. But outside of that, there's there's several uh, college hitters and a few other high school pitchers that could be in that consideration as well. So, that, did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened to that pit, that pitcher? Yeah, he got he got suspended. Um, he, had a, he had a 19 strikeout no hitter yeah. that doesn't that doesn't count. Yeah, because he he moved to Florida last year to go to I, IMG Academy, which is I guess where you know a lot of top athletes go baseball and football. Uh, to play it's kind of like a call it more of a college prep type thing but he went there and pitched last year but then he moved back home this year and evidently new jersey has a rule that if you do that you have to uh, sit a certain amount of time because it's supposed to discourage people from, from just transferring from school to school but he he just went back home from a you know a school in florida so a lot of people are like yeah that's the letter of the rule but it doesn't make any sense because he yeah, he's not, like, transferring from school to school in New Jersey. But, so, yeah, basically, you know, it doesn't hurt him at all. Like, the scouts are there. They saw him pitch. But those games for his high school don't count. And, obviously, he's a really good pitcher. And they, they're going to lose him for a few weeks. But from what they said, that it's not going to – he's probably still going to be a top two or three, at least, draft pick despite that. So, I'm, I'm impressed you, uh, you saw that. Well, you know – I, one of us has to do our research. So, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly though I clicked on the article and I had no idea what it was talking about. And I was like, "Who's this guy? I've never heard of him." And I was like, "Oh, he's a high school pitcher. Of course, I've never heard of him." But we'll uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to that article as well. So, all right, I think it's time now to move on to our main topic. All right, Nick, why don't you uh, explain why uh, rivalries in baseball are such a um, protected thing and such an important thing to the game? Like like a lot of different sports, I mean, different rivalries happen because of proximity or just playing each other several times. And, you know, in baseball, it's a little different because, you know, teams play each other so many times throughout the year. I think there's just some there's some natural rivalries that happen just interdivisionally, depending on if there's two teams that are really good in a division uh, during a certain year. You know, th- those kind of change every year. But or you know, different playoff matchups that seem to happen uh, year after year kind of spark some different rivalries. But there are definitely a few that kind of transcend that. Um, that I think most people, even casual baseball fans, would point to as you know, rivalries, and on a personal note, I think some of them have kind of just been overexposed, you know, I'm thinking of the Red Sox and Yankees is probably the, uh, the every most other, notable. Every other Sunday night baseball game exactly. ever. So, you know, every single time they play, it's on national TV or, yes, yeah, Sunday night baseball. I feel like half those games are, are Red Sox or Yankees, so it can get 
I think a little, a little too much stimulation in that as far as like exposure and in, in both of those teams, I think, you know, you're talking about the two thousands, you know, they, they, I feel like they met in the playoffs every single year. That, that was definitely some riveting baseball, you know, even thinking about when the Red Sox came back from three Oh, which by the way, I totally called just saying, yeah, that was some, some magical stuff there. Um, as far as that whole, because that had never been done before. Pretty incredible. Well, and they won eight straight games because they wanted right. to sweep the World Series. They swept the Cardinals in the World Series. Yeah, and I remember being in college saying, they're down 3-0. I said, I, I bet they come back and win the series. And I said, and if they do that, they're going to sweep the World Series. Just as a total, like, one of those things that you say that you know is not going to happen but you want to say it just in case it does happen. And then it did happen. And I was just like, Oh my God, I'm never going to be more correct about something so absurd in my entire life ever again. Yeah. It was crazy. Cause even just in game four, they were down by one going into the ninth and they had to score a run against the best closer of all time, Ariana Rivera. And oh, yes, he like walked a guy and then Dave Roberts, who is now the manager for the Dodgers stole second and got a base hit, tied up the game, big poppy, won in extra innings. So it was like kind of a miracle just to win one game, and then they got the momentum, which I, I hate that term, so I don't know why I just used it, but they got the momentum in that series, and, yeah, they never lost again. So I remember I remember at the time I was, I was just so sick of the Yankees, so I was like actually rooting for the Red Sox because it was kind of like, yeah, I wanted to see something new. So then they won another World Series, and I was like, they won two more. So it's like, now it's kind of getting old, so I've, I don't want them to, them to see as much success anymore. But, yeah, that's, I mean, that's that one goes back to the early 1900s, the whole Babe Ruth thing. I mean, there's so much history there. Now, I mean, the Yankees by far, I mean, that was definitely a one-sided rivalry for so long with the Yankees having 26 world championships in the span of the Red Sox not having any. But the Red Sox have had three to the Yankees' last one. So probably that one gets the most notoriety and, you know, justifiably so because of the history. And, I mean, they play each other so many times a year. And New York and Boston, the natural rivalry there. So... Well, I personally am kind of tired of it. It's, I mean, it's still a rivalry that's really important to baseball and baseball's history. Yeah, we should move on. Uh, I don't have anything to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we're going to move on to the National League because we didn't really, we could not think of any other long-standing American League rivalries. Um, There have been ones that have come and gone based on, you know, team success and and whatnot, but there were not any other rivalries, per se, in the American League that we thought have stood the test of time and have been relevant for a long time. So if we're wrong, please get in touch and let us know that, hey, we're idiots and we forgot that, you know, the Indians and the Seattle Mariners are, you know, death rivals um, or something like that. So let us know. But we're going to move on to the National League because there's uh, – Two pretty long-standing rivalries that uh, we think deserve to get mentioned. And the first one is, of course, the Chicago Cubs versus the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, And 
you know, Nick and I are both Midwest kids, and so I think this is the rivalry that stands out to us perhaps the most simply just because of proximity. Um, but this is this is a rivalry of, of teams that don't like each other, of fans that don't like each other, mm-hmm. and of cities that and of cities that don't like each other. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I mean this these fan bases just really hate each other. And I think we saw that at Taylor, the school that we went to in Indiana. You had a lot, <laughs> a lot of, of Cubs yep. and a lot of not as many Cards fans, but they but were enough to be obnoxious going at each other and yeah, I've got a lot of friends that are Cubs fans and I mean I, I despise the Cardinals, so I, I, I share that with them. Uh, pretty much everyone in the Central Division despises the Cardinals, but I think pretty soon it's going to be the Cubs as well because the Cubs have just been the lovable losers for so long that they kind of haven't been a threat. But, you know, that rivalry because of that hatred and you know, two pretty big markets playing each other a lot interdivisionally, that one's going to really pick up again this year. I think with the Cubs both kind of being the – prohibitive favorite in the central now that's going to be some pretty fun games to watch i think over the course of this year and i'm sure they're going to get plenty of national exposure as well oh i guarantee they're going to get lots of national exposure and let's dive into some real-time follow-up the uh well scroll down come on my internet's walking at me the uh the cardinals what the cardinals and the reds played today Yes, they did. I thought the Cubs. I thought the Cubs and Cardinals were playing today. Did they start that tomorrow? Uh, they may, they may, yeah, but yeah. No. Well, so let's scratch that real time follow up because I'm an idiot. We're just gonna <laughs> forget that this happened. It's all right. We all make mistakes. I'm so sorry. All right. So Cubs and Cards. Uh, yeah, that's just one of those you just gotta watch. And if you if you live anywhere in or around or near either of those two teams, and you're at all interested in what a baseball feud is like, definitely worth talking to Cubs and Cards fans about it or watching the games or going to a game if you can get to Wrigley or whatever St. Louis's ballpark is called. I really don't care. Bush did. Um, yeah, gross. Bush isn't even beer. It's, Anyways. It's beautiful. I mean... Whenever you drive through St. Louis on the interstate, it's just right off the right off the interstate. There, you can kind of see in. So, as much as I don't like the Cardinals, it's it's a really beautiful location and setting. And obviously, the arch is in the the background of the outfield. So, just everything about it, everything else is gross. But moving. I don't understand. I don't under even even understand the arch. But that's <laughs> let's let's move History. on to the other. Yeah, I'm 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 bad at history. Uh, the other rivalry in the NL is a game that is currently being played as we record this, and that is the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Francisco Giants, who also really don't like each other. No, there. There's been a couple of different times where uh, the state the fans have actually like stabbed each other after games. So yeah, people people go to the hospital. It's not. Um, it's kind of stupid, actually, if you think about it. But yeah, he, he certainly crosses the line of sports and just being kind of insane. But uh, as of as of right now, the Dodgers are up three to one in the bottom of the seventh over the Giants. But yeah, fun fact: I think a big reason why this one is such a big rivalry is because 
neither of these franchises started out in San Francisco and Los Angeles. So, do you know where they originated from? Uh, it was the Brooklyn Dodgers Correct. and the New York Giants. Yes. The, the baseball Giants, not the football Giants. Exactly. So, you had those two teams along with the Yankees. Um, and then, yeah, in the 60s is when, yeah, the Dodgers and Giants kind of moved out to the West Coast. So, their, their roots go back all the way to when they were both in New York uh, as far as the rivalry goes. Yeah. And then since then, I mean, they've always been in the same division. San Francisco, L.A., there's that natural rivalry there. They've both been pretty successful, although L.A., not really since the 80s. But that one's pretty fascinating to me just because of the New York history and how it goes back so far. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you happen to know off the top of your head why they both left New York? You know, I don't. I'm assuming, you know, at the obviously as the West expanded and grew, you know, there became a huge opportunity in both of those cities for franchises, whereas instead of having three in a, a small area, even though New York is big, um, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot. I feel kind of dumb. I should I should know this as a baseball fan, but I'm sure my dad would know. He could tweet at me, father figure. <laughs> yes, greatest, greatest Twitter handle of all time. Uh, but the Mets were not around back then, right? No, they, they kind of came in around that time as an expansion team. Again, maybe next episode I'll have some more concrete uh, research to go with that. But it, it was right around that time. The Mets weren't there when those other three teams were there. I'm pretty sure about that. That's fair. All right, well, let's. why don't we talk about some interleague rivalries because this is – Something that you only used to get in the World Series, but now has become a much more regular part of the baseball schedule, and so there's an opportunity for these rivalries to gain some consistent um, exposure as opposed to just, you know, maybe meeting in the playoffs, or in the World Series, rather, like once every 20 years. Right. These Both of these are more, because of the interleague thing, definitely newer within you know thinking about in my lifetime remembering some of these games you know i there's the whole purist argument about a lot of people don't like interleague i i like it i think it gives some new matchups i'm you know i i think being a reds fan i get tired of them playing certain teams all the time i enjoy when they get to play some new teams but one of the top ones that came to my mind was the white Sox and cubs being both from chicago growing up near chicago seeing a lot of them seeing them play each other a lot and then one of the one of the lasting memories i'll remember from that rivalry is uh when the cubs had a catch-all catcher named um mike barrett i believe and he uh got into it with aj Przinski when Przinski was a white sock and they uh it was like a an afternoon game in wrigley and they just started yelling at each other, and all of a sudden, they just like started punching each other out, and there was a big brawl, and it was pretty funny. But yeah, those two teams don't really like each other. And from what I've gathered, you know, you can't really be a fan of both. You have to choose one. Unless you're my father-in-law, who insists on defying logic and being a White Sox and a Cubs fan, but I I don't understand how it's possible because there was. When the White Sox won the World Series in 2006, there was quite a few White Sox fans that kind of came out of nowhere when we were at, at school 
which, you know, one of our good friends who's a diehard Cubs fan just shook his head at. So <laughs> I think you know who I'm talking about. But yeah, he, he uh, despises the White Sox. Does does his first name start with A and his last name start with M? No, but he would probably be the same. He was our assistant hall director. Oh yes, yes, Mr. T Y. Yeah, yeah, Travis yeah. Yoder. He's a he's a base we need to get him on this podcast. Yeah, I don't he probably doesn't even know but he would he would love to talk some cult. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'd have to get Yoder on here. He'd be a great guest. So yeah, he it's funny because yeah, I've just I'm never I just root for like my local team, so it's it's kind of crazy that you would hate a team that's local. But uh, the Cubs and the White Sox don't like each other. No, oh, and their fans do not either. It's a clash of culture between the South Side and the North Side. That is for sure. So, and then the other one was the Mets and Yankees. Same same sort of deal. The uh, the New York teams, and the the big one for this one is when they they played in the World Series in two thousand one. And I remember Roger Clemens, or I think it was Mike Piazza. It was Roger, Roger Clemens was throwing to Mike Piazza, and Piazza hit a ball, kind of not even at him, but the the bat like can't broke or came apart. And Clemens like picked up the bat fragment and like chucked it back at Piazza. <laughs> I remember, I remember and that. Piazza yeah. just looks as at if, him like, as... "What the heck are you doing? <laughs> like, you can kill me with that thing." With that beautiful mustache and mullet that he was rocking, but yeah, obviously, yeah, as as if as if he could plan to hit a ball, break the yeah. bat perfectly, so it would go at the pitcher. That's exactly what was intended. And we know now that you know Clemens was a little juiced up, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but I, I mean, that was a yes. all time the Subway series. So that I think that's another situation. You got the proximity of that one, big time. I mean, biggest market in the country, big rivalry. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, I think we've we've done well here on the rivalries. Um, I'd like to hear what you know listeners would suggest as additional ones. Um, you know, as a Tigers fan, you know, back when I was in high school and college, uh, it was the Tigers and the White Sox. Um, you know, the Tigers made the World Series and choked against the Cardinals, and then. The White Sox made it one, so that was a big thing. And now it's the the Tigers and the Royals, and you know I guess the White Sox are up there again this season. But I'm not you know convinced they're going to stay. Um, but you know if you have local rivalries or regional rivalries that you think are um, worth mentioning, do let us know. Yeah, that'd be great. So I guess that brings us to the end of episode six of Mendoza Line. Unless Nick, you have any final thoughts for the listeners. I don't. I, uh, I'm hoping for a, a more encouraging week for the Reds. So we'll, I guess we'll see in a week or so how that goes, depending on my mood. Yeah. <laughs> Should be interesting to see. Uh, so as well, if you have any topics that you want us to cover, uh, again, get in touch, let us know, and we will uh, be glad to do that. And so we will be back next week with another episode of Mendoza Line. Until then, adios. Bye.